Will you pray with me as we begin? God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. And we thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence, to cry out praise and thanks for all that you have done for us. God, we thank you that you are a God who comes alongside of us and fights our battles for us. We are thankful that you are a God who makes a way when we don't see any way. And so God, as we have lifted our voice in song, we come now to your word that you would speak truth into our lives. Open our minds and our ears so that we may hear and our thinking may be challenged and changed as we hear from the God who created us and knit us together. And God, may our hearts be changed as that truth resonates inside of us. We thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy poured out in our lives in unending measure. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I want to welcome those of you in the room tonight or those of you who are watching or might be watching online. Uh, and I want to thank you for joining us as we dive into uh, week two of our This Is Us series as we walk through the book of Ephesians. Now, I'm not sure if you know exactly how the process of our weekend services work, and maybe you don't care, but if you hear a couple of things tonight that don't make sense, it's because we actually use our Thursday evening service to video record and then play live on Sunday morning. And so if I say on Sunday or later this afternoon, there's going to be a game, that's why. We just wanted to kind of let that be known up front. Uh, and I also really do want to take just a minute and welcome all of you who might be here for the first time, uh, who might be here checking out Jesus and wondering uh, who Jesus really is. And we want you to know we want to invite you whenever you're ready to belong here, even if you're not quite ready to believe yet. We believe this is a place where everybody can come and wrestle and doubt and question and find a sense of belonging. However, one of the things with the text tonight is it does force us to ask some hard questions about ourselves as a church. And so as we do that, I hope that you see passion in us to walk in a way that honors Christ and that shows him boldly to the world. But if you're not ready to say, hey, I want to I belong there, we want you to know we want to keep journeying with you in faith. So if a neighbor or a coworker or a friend was to walk up to you and say, hey, tell me about Calvary. Tell me about your church. What would you say? How would you answer the question? You say, well, we have great modern worship. We've got cool lights. We have haze. It's a great experience. Would you talk about, uh, we, you know, we pack food for Feed My Starving Children. We have a slide. Maybe that'd be what you'd talk about. How would you describe your church? How would you describe this place to a neighbor or a friend who asks you about Calvary? On the other side of that, maybe the more important question is, how would you, what would your neighbor or friend say if you asked them that question? 
hey, could you tell me what you know about Calvary, Golden Valley? What do you know about that church? Maybe some of them say, I don't know, I've never heard of it. Don't know much about it at all. Maybe some of them might think, well, you know, I, I, I've heard, you know, they're a church, so they're probably judgmental like all the other churches. Isn't that the country club church with the big building, four stories? It's kind of weird. It's a nice place to get married. What would your friends and neighbors and coworkers say about Calvary? You see, I think these are important questions for us to be able to answer, for us to be able to engage in our, in our conversation with, for our neighbors, because we're a church, because who we believe we are as a church will greatly impact our ability to carry out our mission. I think that's why Paul is so passionate in his encouragement and his prayer for the Ephesians in this book of Ephesians that we're reading for the church in Ephesus. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up uh, with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, and that's where we're going to get started in just a minute. But before we go there, uh, I want to recap Zach's main points from last week. If you remember, he said last week uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, if you weren't here, the first three chapters are really going to be about Paul telling us to remember who we are. Remember who you are. Remember who God has called you to be. Remember the work that God has done in your life. Paul says in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, remember, you're adopted children of God. God has said to you, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I want you to be part of my family. You're also redeemed. God's paid the price for us. God paid the price to be in relationship with us. And we're his. Much like my children are mine, who I am proud of and I love and I give everything I can to, God says, you're my kids. You're mine. I'm so proud of you. I love you. I want the best for you. And Paul then launches into this prayer of thanksgiving for the, for the church in Ephesus after he, does, after he reminds them and us of who we are. And it's a prayer not for individuals, but for the church at Ephesus as a collective team. Start with me in verse 15 as we read. Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. 
God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. These eight verses, like much of the book of Ephesians, are so packed full of rich content for us and for the churches that Paul wrote it to. But I think Paul's point really comes down to one thing in this passage. I think if he was looking at the church in Ephesus, he would say, your church is a body of people called to love Jesus by loving the people in front of you. And if I were to translate that for us today, I would say Calvary is a team of people called to love Jesus by loving the people in front of us. Calvary is a team of people called to love Jesus by loving the people in front of us. And if we're a team, this prayer is like Paul's halftime speech to his team in the locker room. They need some motivation. They need to get ready to go. They've got work to do. And Paul is challenging them to do that work, reminding them that he's praying for them. And I think as we look at this prayer, we have to look and be reminded and look at what Paul's praying for and the passion that Paul prays with. Paul's reminded them of who they are. In this prayer, he reminds them of what they're supposed to do. You see, we're a team of individuals each gifted and each called in different ways and each fueled with different abilities. But as we come together, we function as a team to live out God's purpose in this place, in this space. In order for us to be that kind of church, one that lives on mission to love God and to those people in front of us, I think we have to answer three really hard questions. Three questions that force us to really look inside of ourselves and say, are we actually doing that? Are we really living the way we should be living? The first question is, are we a team on mission? Are we a team on mission? You see, if you're on a mission, you are focused, laser focused, because you have one goal to complete, one objective to accomplish, one thing to do. You don't get distracted by all the other stuff. We stay laser focused on what God's called us to do. And what's God, what's Paul say to the Ephesian church in verse 15? He says this, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. If we're gonna be on mission, how strong is our faith and our love for God? Are we loving God well? Are we growing in that relationship? Are we investing time in that relationship?
See, it's just like everything else, any other relationship, the amount of time and effort that we put forth, that we invest into, that we spend talking to God and allowing God to talk to us will determine the depth of our love. It will determine our ability to love God with everything we've got. When Paul says, faith in God, your strong faith, he's using a Greek word, pistis. And you may have heard me say this or teach this before, but pistis directly means to trust in, adhere to, and rely on. It's a root for the word believe as well. And we can go, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I have faith in Jesus. Really? Paul says, if you do, are you trusting in him? Are you adhering to what he's asked you to do? Are you relying on him as your strength for each day, for your relationships as you move forward? Are we trusting in him to heal broken relationships? Are we trusting in him to take care of the situations in our life that face us every day? Or are we relying on our own strength and our own efforts? Are we trusting him and the work of his Holy Spirit to draw us closer to him? You see, if we're growing, each and every one of us has another step to take in our faith. I don't care if you're here tonight and you've been following Jesus for 50 years. You have another step to take. Another step of trust. Another step of reliance. As your faith is strengthened and your love of God grows, we each have steps to take. And that's why we believe at Calvary that this is a growing relationship And maybe the best way that relationship grows is when we love people. All people. Every person. The ones that look like us. The ones that don't. The ones who believe like us. And the ones that don't. It's election year, right? So maybe you have that neighbor already in your neighborhood who has the political sign in their yard and they vote different than you vote and you know it already. And you're just bracing yourself for what this year is gonna look like because you gotta figure out how you're gonna like still wave at that person. I think as we grow in our faith with Christ, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, the best way we show that, the way Paul says we do that is by loving the people around us. Even the ones who vote differently than we do. Even the ones who don't do all the things we think everybody should do. If we're on mission, if we're a team on mission, we have to be laser focused on loving God. And John tells us in his letters, that we can't do that if we're not loving people. And that's why we believe the best about people and try to every, to every day to explain their actions in the best way. This is our mission, 
to love God, to love people. The second question I think Paul's prayer for the Ephesians forces us to ask is, are we journeying together? Are we really growing together? Are we walking this life together? Listen to his words in verse 16. I pray for you constantly asking God to give you spiritual wisdom and insight that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given those he called, his holy people who are rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Paul says, I pray that you would grow in your knowledge of God. As we journey together, are we getting to know God better? Are we growing in our knowledge of his love for us, of his character, of his concern for us? I think it's interesting in all the prayers that Paul writes for all the churches, he only writes that churches would get to know God better when he's in prison. So every letter Paul writes from prison, he prays that that church who would receive the letter would get to know God better. I think we think, you know, I know God pretty well when life goes well. When everything's going exactly the way I want it to, when all my prayers are getting answered, when life's easy, I can follow God and I know him and I trust him and I know that he's got the good stuff for me. Paul says, I'm sitting in a jail cell, chained to a Roman guard. And what I want you to know is to know God better. He says in Ephesians chapter three, or in Philippians chapter three, verses seven and eight, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what I've done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The infinite value. How are we growing? How are you growing? But how are you walking alongside of someone else and saying, I want to see you grow too? You see, we believe this best happens in circles, in small groups, not in rows. We don't get to know Jesus better by ourselves. We get to know Jesus better when we join other people, when we walk around. And that's why we believe that spiritual growth happens best in small groups. It's not about you growing. It's not about how am I doing how are we growing? As a team, how are we growing in our knowledge and our understanding of who God is so that we can live out that mission? The next thing Paul says is providing hope for your community. If you're gonna journey together in this life, we have the opportunity to provide hope. I don't know what your office 
or your school or your neighborhood or your community organization looks like or what the people look like who are in that place. But I have a feeling that if you were get to know them or you were get to take a minute or two and look below the surface, most of them are probably overwhelmed or burdened or pushed down by something. Something that's eating at them, something that's stealing hope from them, something that's stealing joy from them. Maybe it is just busyness. Maybe they're so busy running from here to there to here to there with kids and activities and sports and everything that they haven't stopped to think about even what they're doing or why they're doing it. Maybe it's loneliness. They say our world now is more disconnected than it's ever been. That we all have fewer friends. That we spend less time with somebody else. Maybe it's financial burdens. Trying to figure out how you're going to pay off school debt. Or pay for the bills that are stacking up and piling up and it feels like there's no way out. Maybe it's an addiction they've battled for years and they have just given up hope that it will ever go away. We live in a world that's really being pushed down by all these things and it's all around us and I think it's inside the church too. And this feeling after a while just makes us numb. It sucks all life and all hope out of us. One of the cultural analysts I read said, you know, it's, it's really like a malaise, which seems like a really fancy word. It sounds like mayonnaise to me, which is like the most boring of all condiments. So I just think about, ugh. But we become numb to all these things that are never going to end. We've lost hope. Let me give you an example of what I, what I mean by that. Now, I know we're, this is Minnesota Vikings territory. Congratulations, by the way, two weeks ago. Let's just get it out of the way. You guys won. Good game. Let's move on. But this week, some of you are super excited that the Green Bay Packers are going to beat the San Francisco 49ers, go on to the Super Bowl, and you are like, can't wait for that game to happen. Can't wait for today's game. Can't wait to get home and watch this happen. And then the other half of the room, you've never been bigger San Francisco 49ers fans in your entire life because what you really want as a true Minnesota Viking fan is for someone to just wipe the football field with the Green Bay Packers. Am I right? Yep, okay, all right, well, you're all still awake, you're with me. So that's what we want, right? And there's energy, there's excitement, there's passion. There's hope of what two weeks is gonna bring when the, the Lombardi Trophy comes back to Green Bay. When was the last time that energy that excitement, that passion, that hope filled you when you walked into church. I get it. Trust me, 
No one in the world maybe is more excited than I am when the saints get to play. So don't take that as a blame or a finger pointing, but I think it's a sign of our culture. It's a sign of the reality that we've allowed this numbness to so sink into us that maybe we've given up hope that God will actually act. Maybe even we inside the church have given up hope. You know, we've been journeying together with some of the same people for a while and we've been praying for the same things and God hasn't shown up God hasn't done anything. So maybe there really is no way out of this. Paul says, I pray that you would know the hope that you have in Jesus. Hope for a better future. Hope that Jesus is gonna be faithful to what he said and come back and return and that we have a different eternal life. but I think it's also hope for today, but it's hard. I think about Caleb. Maybe you don't know the story of Caleb, but Caleb was one of the 12 spies to go into the promised land in the Old Testament. God promised the Israelites, I'm gonna give you this land. And so Moses says, Caleb, Joshua, and 10 others. We don't know who the 10 others are. You'll figure that out in a minute. Go over, see what's happening in the promised land. They go, they spend 40 days there. They bring back this massive great branch full of grapes from the grapevine. They like snuck to show how fertile the soil is, how great the place is. And Moses says, great, we should go. And they're like, no, uh -uh." the guys go, no, Moses, we can't go. The people who live there are giants. They outnumber us. There's no way we could ever take that land. God made a mistake. I don't know why he brought us here, but there is no way that that's possible. There's no way that we're gonna take the promised land away from them. And Caleb and Joshua step up and they say, hey, you know what? I think we should go. I think we should go right now. I think we should go take it. God has promised this to us. That land is amazing. Israelites, I would say in our modern world, have become numb. 10 to 2, Caleb, Joshua, we're really glad you came. We're really glad you went. We're glad you saw all that stuff, but I don't know. I think Caleb comes back and Caleb and Joshua are full of hope because they're gonna believe God regardless of their situation. What about us? What about us? As we journey together, do we need to be reminded of the hope that we've been called to? Hope to live in this life, hope for blessing in this life, hope that Jesus will be with us in the midst of our struggles and trials in this life, and hope for an eternity? We need to be a light and a beacon of that hope for those around us. So as we walk together, we have to make sure that each one of us is wrapping our arms around the other and saying, you can do this. And we do this, we grow together in our relationship and our love of God. We keep hope 
Not on our own power, not in our own strength, but because of the last thing Paul says, I hope that you know the power available to you. I hope that you realize you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do these things. And he says, you're not just empowered by the Holy Spirit. Like this is the same power that God spoke and everything we see was formed. That's the power that's available to us. It's the power that Jesus hung and died on a cross and three days later conquered death and walked out of the grave. The same power that raised him from the dead is the power that we have access to. It's the power that God works and speaks into those dark places in our lives when we begin to wonder, God, is there really any way Is there really any way? Is this ever going to end? Philosopher Peter Rollins tells a story of a man who suffered from a delusion that he was cornfeed. Kind of a crazy delusion to suffer from. But he went to the therapist about the problem. After years of visits, the man is finally convinced of his humanity, that he's actually a person And things remain uneventful for a couple of months until this new neighbor moves in. And he comes running back to the therapist's office and the therapist says, what's wrong? The guy says, you've got to help me. You've got to help me. This new guy moved in next door and he has chickens. And the therapist goes, wait, 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 wait. I thought you were cured. I thought we got you convinced that you are fully a man. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. I know I am. You know I'm not corn feed. I know I'm not corn feed, but I don't know if the chickens know or not. You see, the truth is we forget the power that's available to us. We forget that God is walking with us. The eyes of our hearts have to be enlightened to know that power so that our inner chicken can be convinced that we are God's adopted and loved children. That the God we worship and serve is the God who brings life out of death. The God who looks at our darkest times and when we say, that's impossible, God says, That's exactly what I've been getting to work. In your impossibility, in the times when you don't think anything could ever happen or anything would ever change, God says, that's what I've been waiting for because that's when I'm the God who shows up and works. That's when I'm the God who shows up when they said my son was dead and all hope is lost. The disciples have gone back to fishing And God shows up and Jesus does the impossible and walks out of the grave. Are we journeying in this life together? Who do you have that you can go to when you say, you know what, I've lost hope. I feel like I'm all alone. I don't feel like God's ever going to answer this. I'm not sure God even has the power they talk about in church. It's in those moments that we need each other. We need each other to share stories about the times when God's shown up in our lives, when the power of God was real in my life and in your life. 
We need to hear those stories and be reminded of that truth. We have to do this together. And the third question Paul says is, are we ambassadors of Jesus? Are we ambassadors of Jesus? Webster's Dictionary describes an ambassador as an authorized representative or messenger. That's our job. Paul says in the last two verses of our passage tonight, and God placed all things under his feet and anointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who is filled, fills everything in every way. We are Christ's body. We are his fullness lived out here in this place. called in that way as his body to go and serve. Yesterday, Feed My Starving Children started here, and in the next 10 days, we're going to pack 750,000 meals to to feed some of the world's least fortunate and hungriest children. Will we make time to show up? Will we set our priorities in a way that says, I'm going to serve those who need serving. I'm going to walk with those who need help. Will we set priorities in our finances that says, I'm going to give to pay for those meals, to pay for my neighbors who need help, to pay for those who are hurting, to walk alongside of them. You see, two values we hold very highly to here at Calvary is that we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. We exist not for ourselves, but for those outside our walls. We exist for our community. We exist for those who don't know who Jesus is yet. And we exist to reflect God's generosity in all we do. Will we be ambassadors in our service? And will we be ambassadors as we go and make disciples? Walking alongside of those who don't know Christ, getting to know them, loving them, caring for them, and making disciples. Helping them understand the love that we have doesn't come from inside of us. It comes from the God who loves us and who loves them. Paul's prayer forces us to ask some difficult questions. Questions that ask us to come and say, are we a team of people called to love Jesus by loving those in front of us? Would those who walk inside our doors and who don't know, who aren't a part yet, say, you know what? That's a group, that's a team of people gifted in different ways, but passionate about their mission walking together on a journey to get to know God more and telling others about Jesus? Are we laser focused on our mission? Our goal is that Calvary will be a team of people called to love Jesus by loving the people in front of us. 
Are you ready? Are you ready to be ambassadors? It means saying yes to these values. Yes to doing anything short of sin to reach people for Christ. Yes to being known for what we're for and not what we're against. Yes to believing the best about people and explaining their actions in the best way. Yes to continuing to grow in our relationship with Jesus. Yes to joining a small group. Yes to being spiritual contributors and not consumers. Yes to reflecting on God's, gener- reflecting God's generosity in all we do. And yes, to not taking ourselves too seriously, but taking God really seriously. That's what it means. That's what Paul's calling us to. That's what Paul's praying for, for each and every one of us. That's what we want from all, for each of you. But more importantly than that, we want to be a team of people who love those outside our doors because eternity is in the balance. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for calling us, for working in our lives, for loving us when we weren't very lovable, for calling us your children, for forgiving us, for your grace that never ceases, for your mercy that never ends, for your forgiveness that is always there. God, I pray that you would make us passionate about what you've called us to. That we would love you by loving those you put in front of us. Help us to love them well. Give us wisdom to know how to do that. Give us the power we need through your Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And by the Spirit's power, amen.